0: My name is Kelly McMahon and you are listening to Unconventional Wisdom, the podcast that explores the mysterious histories and curious origins of things. And today we're doing something special. That's right, it's time for Library Lottery. (coughs) Library Lottery is a special that we'll be running every so often, but since this is the very first episode of it, I'll explain how it works. Essentially, UMass Amherst Library, the WEB Du Bois Brick Behemoth that we all know and love, has a really old, really expansive collection. And what better way to explore the deep cuts of a college library than by taking a randomized sample of its books? So I've created a random spinner which will generate a random Library of Congress call number. So that means one of the LC alphabetic topic codes, as well as a random number between zero and a thousand. Then I'll venture up Du Bois with however many levels of stairs it requires, and find that book with the closest matching number to this code. I'll give it a good old skim and scan and talk about what's so interesting about it. No second spins. I have to take whatever I get. Them's the rules. So without further ado, Spinner, take it away. All right, so our final code has ended up with RN32. So it turns out that RN is not actually a category that the library has, but the closest thing that we could find was RS, which is in the library's pharmaceutical collection. And the pharmaceutical collection of books is on the 23rd floor of the library, so I did not use the stairs, I used the elevator. And that was pretty neat because the 23rd floor is also the floor with the best view, so I got to see that while also picking up this book. And while we didn't exactly get RN52, this was the closest being RS55.2. All right, now the moment we've all been waiting for, let's take a look at what book we actually got. Um, It's about 270 or so pages, gray paperback, and it is called, now this is quite the mouthful, How to Save Dollars with Generic Drugs, A Consumer's Guide to High-Quality, Low-Priced Medicines, with a subheader, Why You Pay Too Much for Prescription and Over-The-Counter Drugs and What You Can Do About It, by Max A. Firm, Ph.D., and Betty Firm. Great. I, I mean, I am indeed a consumer, so please doctor firm please by all means tell me uh, why I pay too much for prescription and over-the-counter drugs and furthermore what I can do about it so this book was published in 1985 so it, it's a bit dated uh, which is will be something to keep in mind as I look through it um, something that kind of dates it right here is that that—gosh, I don't even know the last person that that checked out this book when that even was because there's a um, UMass library punch card Um, actually tucked into the inside cover and I remember talking to some of the librarians and they were saying that they actually removed a lot of the punch cards and just had like boxes and boxes of them but this book uh, seems that it still has its uh, punch card in it so you better believe I might be taking this and turning it into a fun little bookmark for future use. So before finding this book I had never even heard of generic drugs. I didn't even know generic drugs were a thing. I think that it's a funny name just saying like, oh yes, generic drugs, like you're, you're getting your heart medication at like Market Basket or something, but generic drugs are actually a thing and then they're quite prominent, like the FDA even talks about them, so let's just do some background information on what generic drugs even are. First off, I think a lot of people are like me. I didn't even know that generic drugs existed, which I guess, according to Dr. Firm and his wife, is why I am indeed paying too much for prescription and OTC. So generic drugs are medications that are completely substitutable for already marketed brand name drugs. They're supposed to match everything about the marketed drug, from effects, dosages, benefits, and bioequivalence. And get this, they're way cheaper. According to the FDA website on generic drugs, it states, quote, it must also meet the same high standards of quality and manufacturing as the brand name product, and it must be taken and used in the same way as well. The FDA generic drugs program conducts a rigorous review to ensure generic medicines meet these standards. Generic drugs are allowed to have some minor changes as well, such as differing inactive ingredients. Uh, Generic drugs will often look different than their marketed counterparts, and this is because the actual look of a drug, including its size, shape, and color, are actually considered to be trademarked parts of that drug brand. It's illegal for generic drugs to look the same as the marketed one, and since the FDA obviously doesn't care if they're the same shape and color, as long as they work the same, they usually look way different. Much like the word generic implies, these drugs are way cheaper than the marketed ones, but the word generic also implies a lower quality, like it's um, bargain value drugs that you're getting at like Kmart or something. I mean, I'm just like ripping on all these like superstores right now, I'm sorry. But obviously the FDA would not approve a lower quality. So the term generic is actually a bit misleading because the reason why generic drugs are cheaper is simply because they didn't have to go through the same animal or human clinical trials that the marketed drug did. And again, not because they were cutting corners, but simply because the marketed drug already did the research, so why repeat it? A better, more official term for generic drugs is abbreviated drugs. So how much cheaper are they actually? Due to lower research costs, these drugs are often up to 80 to 85% cheaper than the marketed ones. And the economists in you might be thinking, so wait, so you're telling me that there's essentially an entire separate market of cheaper drugs with the exact same effectiveness? Then how come the regular brand name drug companies are completely bankrupt? Who would ever buy the originals if they can get something equally as good for way cheaper? Well, this is where it gets a bit complicated, and this is what Dr. Fern and his wife try to uncover for us consumers in their book. First off, generic drugs are only approved by the FDA after the marketed drug is on the market exclusively for quite some time. This is because they're usually protected by patents. Also, generic drugs are mostly advertised to and bought by hospitals. The IMS Health Institute estimated that buying generic drugs instead of marketed drugs saved the US healthcare system nearly $2.2 trillion between 2009 and 2019. So here's what Dr. Fern and his wife say about how the average consumer fares in all of this. They pose the same question. So if it costs less and it's just as good, why isn't everyone using a generic drug? And they state, we look to a higher authority to bolster our belief in this money-saving concept. If a generic drug is truly as effective at less cost, then surely the doctor will describe it or the pharmacist will recommend it, but not necessarily. Doctors and pharmacists, as well as brand name manufacturers, insurance companies, and government offices all have their own reasons for recommending or not recommending generic drugs, and these reasons often have little or nothing to do with the cost or effectiveness of it. But still, Dr. Fern isn't necessarily saying that we're purposefully being kept in the dark about generic drugs. Corporations aren't just gaslight gatekeep girlbossing us away from our generic drugs. He says that the system is kind of like an odd game. As he says, there are many players, different goals, misplaced incentives, no real winners, and one sure loser, you, the consumer. So one of the main players in this game that Dr. Fern identifies is, of course, the drug manufacturers. And it's really easy to call the drug manufacturers the bad guys, fully because, I mean, they're the ones making the drugs so freaking expensive, right? But the reason is, as discussed earlier, is that research costs are exorbitantly expensive, so they have to raise the price in order to sort of counteract the fact that they have these huge upfront costs to even make a drug that they're not even sure will even work. So after tests and clinical trials and millions of 1980s dollars, Even if the drug ends up being a success, the fear of the brand name manufacturers is that at the end of their patent life of the drug, they will have created the perfect environment for a generic drug to enter the market. So of course consumers need it, it will be prescribed by physicians, and there will be a wide difference between the basic cost of the material and the actual selling price. So to protect their initial investment. These brand name manufacturers have some tricky little tactics that they use to make it a little harder for these generic drugs to actually happen. So one way that these manufacturers block the introduction of generic drugs is that they just just slightly change the formula of their old drug and then convince physicians to, to prescribe the new one instead of the old one. So even if they're trying to reformulate the chemical salt just a little bit so it's technically a new drug, this doesn't mean that there was actually gonna be any change of it. They're just kinda messing with the formula a little bit just so their patent gets extended. Another thing manufacturers will do is that they try to convince physicians, pharmacists, and ultimately consumers that the generic drug may not actually be of the same quality. So this could just be false advertisement or creating some kind of stigma around generic drugs. So from the consumer side, you just simply don't want to purchase it anymore. Even though this usually isn't true, the manufacturers will usually present some kind of manipulated or partially omitted FDA data to sort of show that there's, there's less effectiveness in generic drugs, simply by saying like, oh, the powder is too granulated, it won't go into your bloodstream as fast enough, it won't be as effective. Another thing manufacturers do is they take advantage of the fact that federal law does not require that the name of the actual manufacturer appears on the labels. So it is possible that neither consumers nor pharmacists are even aware that a drug carrying the brand name of one company was actually made by another firm. In fact, an estimated 90% of all generic drug products sold, at least when this book was published, are marketed but not necessarily manufactured by big brand name firms or their subsidiaries. For example. As of the time this book was published, Ampicillin, an antibiotic, was available under 224 product labels, often at different prices, but it was only produced by 24 different formulas. Another player in this generic drug game is the actual physician themselves. So when a physician writes you a prescription, they may or may not sign off on a line that says, substitution permitted. And whether or not your physician decides to prescribe the drug by brand name or allow the pharmacist to substitute a less expensive generic drug mainly has to do with the physician's knowledge or biases or beliefs concerning that generic drug. And actually signing on that little line says substitution permitted on the prescription varies from state to state. So in some states, you have to actively specifically state that, yes, you are allowed to have a substitution permitted. In some states, it's it's implied that you're allowed to have a substitution permitted unless otherwise stated. And then, of course, a lot of the decision on actually making the signature fully comes down to the physician themselves. Also, generic drugs aren't allowed to have that nice three-syllable gibberish word that marketed drugs have as the name of their drug. Generic drugs are named fully based off their chemical name. So sometimes, purely out of convenience, physicians will not write prescriptions for generic drugs because they just don't want to write diphenyl oxalate hydrochloride when they can just write Lomatil, right? Also, there's no financial gain to the physician whether they prescribe the brand name drug or whether they prescribe the generic drug. There is really no motivation for a physician to prescribe a generic substitute over a brand name drug. Now, one of the final players would be the actual pharmacies themselves. So generic drugs cost the pharmacies less to acquire and usually provide the pharmacy with equal or better profit while also saving the consumer money. So the incentive for pharmacists to carry and give out generic drugs and to advocate for generic drugs is very high. But this isn't the case all the time because pharmacists will often have a reimbursement on the drugs that they dispense. So this reimbursement will usually include full coverage of the cost of whatever drug they're dispensing, uh, and the pharmacist will also get a, the profit from a dispensing fee that the consumer has to pay. So it doesn't really matter if the pharmacist is selling the marketed brand drug or they're selling the generic drug, if insurance is going to cover and reimburse the cost of that drug anyway, and that fixed dispensal fee that they're getting from the consumer is the exact same anyway. Also, depending on the state law, previously if a patient had an adverse reaction to a drug, all of the liability was passed on to the physician, but now that liability is shared between the pharmacist and the physician. So now if you're a pharmacist, the actual uh, drug product selection process is a little riskier. Now that you know that if there's an adverse reaction, you have to bear the brunt of the responsibility, do you really wanna risk buying and supplying a generic drug, especially when there's lots of biases that generic drugs are lower quality? And what about the U.S. government in this? I mean, they're running the FDA, who is actually doing the regulation and the testing. The U.S. government and the FDA is all for generic drugs. It makes the medicine more accessible. People who can't afford name-brand medicines can get this one instead. It's cheaper for hospitals to supply it. So why isn't the US government promoting generic drugs more? Why have very few people even heard of them? But, you know, due to the corporate nature of our healthcare system, if the US government were to try and loosen up patents and make the marketed drugs less exclusive or create competition at lower prices with generic drugs, ultimately, as Dr. Firm states, they would incur the wrath of big businesses and bodies of physicians, which are both extremely influential lobbying organizations. Therefore, the government must restrict its power and ultimately find other means to bring this message of generic drugs to the public. Now, in Dr. Firm's book, he identifies two more players, that would be insurance companies and generic manufacturers and distributors, but because those are sort of seen a little more third party, we're not gonna get into those. And so what about you, the consumer? So there's some interesting parallels between when this book was published and now. There was pretty big inflation back in 1985, as there is pretty big inflation right now. And according to Dr. Firm, inflation has caused soaring costs for prescription drugs and a new trend in healthcare, self-medication. Consumers are looking to things like OTCs and yes, possibly generic drugs. And of course the players in this game that profit off the fact that you're buying the brand name drugs and not the generic drugs are hoping that sort of the propaganda that generic drugs are worse will sort of cut so deep that it causes almost a placebo effect in the consumers that when they knowingly purchase a generic drug that they will literally feel like it is not as effective. Thus the price, no matter how high, will be seen as worth it. Nothing on the market is better than this. You don't take bargains with your own health. There is a fabricated win-win situation. But of course, these rising prices, especially in times of inflation, can be really detrimental to those with fixed incomes, low-income families, uh, those who suffer from chronic afflictions where they need to keep getting drugs for years and years and years and years. So if you want to feel good and powerful as a consumer, I think Dr. Firm's got a nice little motivational conclusion here. He says, in our society, the patient's role has always been a passive one. The physician prescribes, the pharmacist dispenses, and the patient pays. So essentially, if you want to take advantage of the fact that there are generic drugs out there that work just as well on our lower costs, that that passive role as consumer must change into an assertive one. Ultimately, even though as earlier stated, in this game, the biggest, most certain loser is you, the consumer, if you have the knowledge to be able to make the right transitions and the right decisions, in the great generic drug game, you, the consumer, have the most to gain. Of course I am, paraphrasing Dr. Firm here. He, he has a very uh, eloquent conclusion. So in the back of the book, Dr. Firm and his wife actually catalog a bunch of different brand name drugs that have generic equivalents. Also in the back of the book is a list of brand name drugs where, at least as of 1985, the patents had not yet expired, but were about to expire. And looking at this list now, they have all expired. Um, I think the latest patent expiration date was in 1993. So these lists actually include some pretty notorious drugs like Percocet, Valium, Xanax, um, but they also include some OTCs such as Bayer's Aspirin and Tylenol. So now as an empowered and knowledgeable consumer, if you find yourself wanting to get a generic drug instead of a prescription drug in the future, where might you be able to find it? So. If your physician says that you're allowed to get it, um, you can often just talk to your local pharmacy and see if they have it in stock. Uh, It seems that out of a lot of local pharmacies, Walgreens seems to be one that that has a um, pretty good reputation of carrying many generic drug brands. I believe there's also possible wholesale places that you can get it. Um, I'm not saying there's like a Costco of, of drugs, but nowadays you could probably find them online as well. But you would have to check with the FDA website to make sure that there is a approved generic substitute. So even though going to your local pharmacy and being like, hey, you got this generic drug might sound kind of shady on the surface. Don't worry, you are doing your job as a knowledgeable and empowered consumer. I would like to thank the W.E.B. Du Bois Library collection for providing me with this excellent book. This podcast was written, recorded, and edited by me, Kelly McMahon, as part of Massachusetts Daily Collegian. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for the next lottery.